You are listening to The Podcast Collection, a WP Radio Network podcast. On today's episode, I interviewed Zach King of Perio Engineering. And uh, guys, great podcast. Zach's very smart, very intelligent uh, when it comes to uh, oil spill remediation and the whole mechanical aspect of the tanks and and what needs to be done and just meeting the guidelines uh, for that and putting together... really good to put together a report for you looking at the deficiencies from both the uh, oil tank provider the gas provider or the oil the oil provider as well as the homeowner so uh, I think you guys are going to really love this podcast so sit back relax and just uh, enjoy myself and Zach going at it all right it's uh, WP radio and welcome Zach to the podcast collection I'm very happy to have you on the podcast today Thank you, Terry. Glad to be here. So, Zach, I understand you are a quality control manager and a forensic engineer. Uh, that is correct. All right. Yep. Well, uh, first and foremost, let's kind of talk about your background, where you're from, what company you're with, all the... I I know where you're from, but for the people listening in, let's uh, let's figure things out here. Sure. We can, uh, we can definitely do that. Uh, so, yeah, my background, as you mentioned, is in engineering. Uh, so I have a materials engineering degree from Dalhousie University. So spent my uh, my educational years out there, uh, and then came back to Toronto. Uh, did some work in out in uh, the the real world in the industry, uh, and then after about uh, about ten years of that, I moved into the forensic engineering firm. Uh, so for the last eight years, I've been a forensic engineer, uh, focusing on um, materials failures uh, and fire investigation. Uh, so a lot of focus on uh, product failures, uh, device failures, plumbing, uh, some personal injury. Uh, and then on the fire side, doing just general general fire investigation and analysis. Uh, so I started with a, a smaller firm uh, and uh, about four years ago, I moved to Perio, uh, where I am now. I uh, started with uh, forensic engineering. I uh, moved over and did a little bit of business development uh, to help work with our clients and provide a little technical analysis uh, on the, the, I guess, the free of charge uh, so that uh, anyone could contact us and, and have a little little resource that they could use. Uh, and now I've moved back over to uh, our operations side and I'm helping with our overall quality control and then again, and, and engineering again. Now, I understand that you have a background in oil spills as well. I, I do. I keep trying to get away with it, but uh, or get away from it. Side, you mean <laughs> get away from it? Sorry, yes, from it. <laughs> but our environmental side uh, likes to drag me back over to it and make a mess of all my clothes. Yeah, um, yeah. I did oil spills for quite a while, so I I, I feel your pain. I I actually quite like it, and quite liked it. I'm I love talking about. Uh, my kids, I mean, for about eight years, my kids were like, you're always talking about oil spills and these tanks and failures and all sorts of stuff. But as they grew up and got older, they were like, oh, this is kind of interesting. So, um, Yeah, there's always a story. Oh, absolutely. Always a story. <laughs> so um, do, do you do residential, commercial, industrial? What did you do? What was your spectrum of or what's your spectrum of work there? Uh, so my experience has been essentially – focused on residential. Okay, great. Um, and I think our topic today, we're going to talk about residential oil spills, if uh, if that reminds me and serves me correct, right? 
Yep, it does. Excellent. So let's talk kind of um, a little bit about that. Uh, so I'm assuming with being having a mechanical engineering background, you know a lot about, and material handling, you know a lot about uh, those kind of things like oil tanks and failures and all the components thereof. Uh, it, exactly. Yeah. So within our firm, uh, we have the two divisions, engineering and environmental. So our environmental team takes care of the actual spill cleanup. Uh, but then they'll often refer to the, the adjuster or the, the risk manager on the case uh, and ask whether or not they need a, an origin analysis done. Uh, and that's where, where I get sucked in. So come, going in to find out what, what actually caused the spill. So you be the QP then? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And for the people out there, that's qualified person. <laughs> uh, we use a lot of acronyms that I find in insurance. Even when I was talking to my boss uh, today, I used an acronym that she wasn't familiar because I took out a letter. And instead of saying W-O-P, I just said W-P. And because uh, that's right. how we refer to without prejudice uh, at, in the OIAA. But in the real world, I think in the insurance world, they still say without prejudice is W-O-P. So okay. she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, no. All right. It's the same thing. Not, but not the magazine. Yeah, not the magazine, but without prejudice, though, all in all. So um, yep. So kind of, um, you know, we're, when you're talking to, or I was going to say domestic oil spills, but residential oil spills, we're talking about um, four different things, right, really, like that you focus on? Uh, sorry, how do you mean? So you've got like internal corrosion, installation errors, overfills, and physical damage, right? That's kind of the the four points that we're going to talk about? Yep, that would be right. Okay. So where do you want to start and how do you... So for our listeners, not all of them do oil spills, right? So we've got a, a wide plethora of people that listen to the podcast. So kind of let's simplify it. When you get involved... How do you get involved typically? So do you get involved from um, from the onset as the QP, or do you get brought in later on, or does it vary from case to case? Uh, as with most things, it does vary from case to case. Uh, we've been brought in immediately uh, if someone feels that there's something wrong. Uh, and in other cases, it takes two or three people going through the site to finally say, you know, this doesn't feel right. Uh, let's get somebody in to, to take a look. Uh, so, and again, that's happened anywhere from our project managers on the Enviro side going in to look at the the spills to start the cleanup and being able to identify it to uh, somebody down the road, potentially even at the point of subrogation, uh, or if we're if we're getting into defend, a lot of times as well, we're we're working behind the behind the eight ball because the the files already started uh, and we're playing catch up. Yeah. And I was talking to another guy at Perio on another, on another podcast, part of the podcast collection. But, and again, I, I couldn't understand why some adjusters or wait to the very end to include qualified people onto files. Like I, it, it's kind of dumbfounding to me. You'd think you want them in from the onset, like no, <sighs> the way I take a look at a file is I, I, you know, when I get it, I go, who do I need? What experts do I need? to get the right outcome. And if I don't have them from the onset, make a list, get them on the file immediately because it's going to be cheaper and you'll get the right answers and, and with the evidence still in place. You'd agree? I mean, I would 100% agree. Yeah, 
And it's a question that comes up all the time throughout the office. And, and especially when I was doing our business development, it would be a question I'd try and work out with the, the insureds or with the insurers uh, to understand exactly what that process is. Because, yeah, it varies very much from, from adjuster to adjuster to company to company even. And, and do you think it's more experience more than anything? They just don't know. Like they kind of run in kind of with the blinders on. It's kind of, you know, junior people that get a file and they get excited. Or do you think it's just they don't know and they just kind of stumble their way through it sometimes? Yeah, a, a bit of both. <laughs> Especially what you were saying about, uh, you know, rushing into it. Often we will we'll get a call. Uh, I, I need somebody now. It, it has to happen immediately. Like tonight. and. And we're asking the questions like, okay, where's this file at? What do you what do you know about it? What information can you give me? Can you give me at least the insight? Well, I, I don't know anything yet. Oh. Okay, then let's slow our let's slow ourselves down and, and really take a look at this. And I know for for us, we really like to to help as much as we can, give as much information up front, uh, and give the the adjuster or the risk manager comfort in what they're they're looking at. So if we can help them even just know what questions to ask before engaging us. That initial call helps us immensely because at least we're aware of the file. We can tell you what information you, you're looking for uh, and then how to assess whether or not you do really need us. Uh, but it's we would prefer to see it done that way than wait and see days down the line whether or not you might or might not need somebody. Yeah, I wonder if there would be something, you know, when when I think about this, now that I'm sitting thinking about it again, because I was thinking about it when we were talking, I was talking about smoke mapping and those kind of things with mm -hmm. um, your perio forensic guys, right? And, um, yep. And that now I'm sitting thinking about this, and I'm like, strategically, like somebody should develop something like a kind of almost like a, like a check, a box kind of like, you know, when you get an oil spill, you need to have these people assigned and kind of go through and make sure that they're there from day one. Because it's not like you're never not going to need a qualified person because somebody's got to sign off on the site at the end anyway. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You, you'd agree? Yeah. I, yeah, I would. Uh, see, I do know that a lot of people will look at that as the, the person that is doing the cleanup needs to sign off on it. Uh, so that in our case, our, uh, our professional uh, geoscientists uh, are the ones that, that actually do the sign off on yeah. the the cleanups. Uh, but that's just certifying that, that it's been done to government standards and it, it now is officially a clean site versus the person that's necessary, uh, that's doing the, uh, the assessment, the origin and cause analysis. So uh, you would, you stick to the origin and cause portion of it. And then your QP would be your geoscientist that will sign off on the site. So you're, that's right. So you're a separate person within that same, group so you're actually just dealing with the origin and cause of the spill that's right oh, okay. yeah yeah so it's broken that way that we way. have two experts in the in each area perfect well let's talk about the spill itself so let's talk about those things like um I, you have it as internal corrosion do you got and that's that microbial that mick right Everyone exactly, always talks yep. about. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Mick. Um, and again, that's microbial internal corrosion. Um, so tell me a, a little bit about Mick from so people have an understanding of how it develops and you know can it develop quickly? Is it something that happens over time? Um, those kind of things and things they can do to prevent it. Sure. Yeah. So actually, you brought up uh, two good things. So um, 
not to correct you there, Terry, but uh, Mick is actually microbial induced corrosion. Oh, induced. Okay. Yeah, and uh, induced. The meaning being that the microbes are what's causing the corrosion. Okay. Uh, so uh, independently, the the corrosion shouldn't happen uh, as focused as it does. Uh, so what actually happens is you get uh, condensation or water that gets into the tank. Uh, and we all know that, that water and oil don't mix, so they, they end up separating, and you end up with water at the bottom of the tank. And at that interface, you've now got something that the microbes can feed off of and a, an environment they can live in, which is the water, uh, and they plant on the side of the tank, and they start to create their own little environment. And within that environment, uh, they create a, a little shell, and they begin to eat through the metal, uh, so it becomes a very focused area just beneath wherever they've set up uh, and it eats straight through the metal. So you get a lot of uh, pinhole corrosion uh, through the, the material. Uh, so it's those microbes that, that start it, they create their own little biome uh, and then they, they just run away with, with the process itself. So the other really good point they brought up was time. Uh, we're often asked, you know, what's the time that this would have would have happened in uh, and can we be aware of or can we nail down a, a date when this would have started uh, and it's actually really hard to do that any type of corrosion it's hard to do that in uh, it's not a process that that is necessarily time dependent uh, because there's so many factors that affect it uh, the amount of water the amount of uh, the temperature uh, ambient that that it's being exposed to uh, how long was were the conditions ever removed uh, things like that all affect whether or not uh, the corrosion proceeded rapidly or, or slowly. Uh, but it is something that we can identify. So the easiest way to prevent it is to keep water out of that tank. And that's actually part of the, um, I'm going to say oil standards. It's, it's not specifically a standard, but it's a recommendation from the oil industry that every tank should be uh, dipped and drained uh, all the time or, or on a regular basis, I should say. Uh, so if you do find that there is water in that tank, it's being removed, so you're not creating that interface. Uh, and So here's the, the, the million-dollar question sometimes, literally million-dollar. Whose responsibility is it to dip? Is it the homeowners or is it the oil providers? Again, very good question. You seem to be right on top of this, Terry. Oh, man, I lived this for eight years, i got to tell you. I lived this – I, I literally – eat, slept, thought about this nonstop for eight years, and I never got the same... I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually waiting to hear what your answer is for this one because I, yeah. I never get the same answer twice. Yeah, and I can understand that because, yeah, you're going you're gonna to stress my memory out of exactly what the wording is throughout the, the different standards. Uh, but my understanding is that essentially the, the equipment is owned uh, by the homeowner, and it is their responsibility to to have it done. Uh, so they're supposed to do the annual maintenance and annual checks on all the equipment. Now, at that that being said, they don't necessarily have the educational background or certification to be able to do that. So it's what generally happens is they that they then hire uh, somebody to do that maintenance. Um, so the at that point, you're passing the the obligation and the responsibility on to the party that is doing that. 
and then on top of all of that, if it is an oil tank, you're getting deliveries from the, the oil providers. Uh, part of their standard checks is to make sure that the tank is in good working order. Uh, when it's an outside tank, it's easy for them. They have access to it. They can see it. They can do visual checks. They can dip it fairly easily without involvement of anybody else. When it's an inside tank, it's a little more involved because they'd actually have to enter the homes and, and coordinate with the, the homeowners. Uh, so it, it really becomes a situational uh, set of circumstances that you have to look at to see who actually has the, the most, I'll say the most responsibility on it. Yeah. And so I always, every time I went and looked at tanks, I was surprised at the condition of some of these tanks, like how bad they were in, like their condition, <laughs> their overall condition. It was frightening sometimes how bad yeah. the conditions were. And, you know, and then people had just slopped gray paint over top of like, you could literally see rust and corrosion and, uh, you know, paint flecking off. And then they just slopped paint on it and, uh, and just the stuff leaning up against it or over top of it or underneath it, grass. And just some of the conditions I just found were appalling that, you know, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. something that can cause catastrophic damage to your your property and I, I don't think people realize until they're in the claim how bad it can really be exactly yeah they really don't um we're always getting the the surprise look from uh insureds that are are having to now deal with these situations uh and in preparation of our call we were talking about some of the different files that we've had over the over the past and some of the circumstances that we've come into uh, you know, just when you're talking about painting, we had uh, one of the best ones I saw was a tank that we ended up pulling out. And as we went to, to move it, we realized there was still uh, some liquid left inside. So we went to, to drain it and we used the hole that, it, that we had already seen. And then it started to pour out of two holes and then three holes and then four holes. And we went, Holy jumping. Like this is a perforated tank. How is this the case? And, and I think it was exactly that. It was just someone had painted over top of it. Yes. Uh, and then we had we had another one that someone had used a bolt. They had a hole. They knew there was a hole, so they stuck a bolt through it and hopefully sealed it that way. And, of course, wow. the, the bolt only held until the, the rest of the material rested, and out came the bolt and, and a giant hole with it. Wow, that's crazy. But, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, fact is – greater than fiction sometimes it's it, you know or stranger than fiction i should say um mm -hmm. so is there a way to prevent mick other than just doing dip tests and doing like do the people have to literally drain their tank down let it dry out or is there something they can put in that uh because the, the reason i'm asking is the, the, most of the tanks that i've ever seen the fill or the you know where the oil gets goes out of the tank is on the side but it's never right at the bottom there's always you know one or two inches or you know where oil is always going to be at the bottom or water's always going to be at the bottom below that that spout you know what i mean yep exactly so, so yeah. i mean i've never seen a bottom draining tank and to me, that would make a lot of sense. So it eventually, you know, yeah. you would never have water. There shouldn't really be water in your system at that point, right? Or some type of, you know, I, I know when um, trucks make 
gas deliveries, they actually uh, open up a spout for a small period of time that drains the water out of the gas before mm-hmm. they put it into the the tanks at a fill like at a gas station. So it's just those yep. kind of things to me I'm like if you guys can do it on a bigger scale, why couldn't you do it on a smaller scale? I mean Yeah. Right? And you know, that was that, but then the other thing I've seen is these mil are these tanks that guarantee you liability up to a million dollars these uh plastic type tanks. What's your thought on those? Yeah, so a, a couple of things. Just to go back to your original comment, how do you drain it? Uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you've got um, if you've got one of those tanks like you described, where the the uh, outlet is about an inch, it's usually about an inch and a half to two inches above the the bottom of the drain. So yeah, you can always have at least that much water or sediment filling up in the tank. Uh, the easiest way to do it uh, is a special product that they've got that is oil phobic so it actually repels oil uh, but uh, hydrophilic Uh, so when you uh, push it down to the bottom of the tank it will absorb only water and leave the oil and then when you withdraw it it'll it'll absorb most of that moisture oh now is that a cloth uh yeah it's i couldn't tell you exactly what it is but yes it's like a, a batten material uh so we actually use the opposite in spills i believe where it's actually oil oil philic uh so it'll it'll absorb the hydrocarbons and, and let water pass through it uh and then in this case it it absorbs the water and, and lets the oil pass through it that's really interesting so those are the battens that you're talking about the ones that you see on the sides of the highways where you, there's been a spill and it's allowing the water to pass on through in the little creeks and canals but stops the oil Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've never I've never yeah. knew there was a reverse for that for a tank. So that's really interesting. Yeah, so any any tank supplier I would expect would be able to provide you either with that service or with the materials at least to do it. Uh so if you're a tank owner or if if you're dealing with a client, you can you can always recommend that they have that uh, I mean initially the dip test done and then to actually throw one of these in and absorb that water out so you prevent that um, that mating of the, the two surfaces. Yeah, wow. Pretty interesting and, stuff. That's really interesting. And that sounds like it's a lot cheaper than cleaning up an oil spill. I, I would say, yeah, <laughs> a few dollars different. A few dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, it's an ounce of prevention, right? Yeah, it's crazy. That's that's unbelievable. So that I'm gonna. that's my takeaway for this. I didn't know that, so that's wonderful for me. I'm sure there'll be more, but that's number one. So yeah, um, bottom fill tanks do they exist? Uh, so there are bottom drain tanks. Yeah, uh, so there's uh, usually a drain about again inch and a half to two inches from the the front wall uh, that lets the water or lets the oil drain out the bottom of the tank. So it does, like you said, draw the the water out better. Uh, the the catch with those is that it does draw it out of the tank, but it usually draws it into the filter, uh, which is just downstream of it, and yeah. fills the filter canister up with water. Uh, so if you've got an outside tank, you have to be just as aware that water could get in there, because now you're running the risk of freezing. If too much water is is getting into that filter, it can fill up, end up freezing, and and split the housing. Yeah. So we've seen a number of spills that way as well. Okay. 
Well, that's, again, for people, you know, that with the tanks, that those are things they've got to be on top of for their maintenance. So I'm assuming should be doing exactly. fall maintenance, getting that filter drained. Um, and then... Would be a good time. Yeah, yep. before you get the freeze. Interesting. Okay. And uh, what about these plastic tanks that I was talking? I don't know if it's actually plastic or what it is, like a polymer type tank. Yeah, so now you're getting into uh, some of the newer designs. Typically, what we're what we see is just the, the standard steel design, uh, steel side, steel front, uh, and then general uh, either iron or brass uh, fittings coming out of them. Uh, but the newer newer tanks that are coming out are uh, dual walled or or plastic walled. Mm -hmm. uh, so they've got an internal plastic compartment uh, that actually holds the water, or sorry, holds the oil uh, and uh, prevents that that mick. And then you've got the external, um, usually stainless steel or or some type of steel, anyways, uh, shell on it uh, that acts as a second containment compartment. So if you ever were to look through the, the eye, uh, the, oh, now I'm going to forget what they're called. Uh, the cheater hole to look through and see if there's anything in there. Yeah. Uh, you, you're aware that there's a problem with that inside tank beforehand. Definitely a better design on the larger systems. Like when you're talking about a, a gas station, that's their standard. They have to have, double-walled tanks for exactly that reason. Uh, just in case that inside one perforates, you need at least time to get to it before it starts seeping into the, the ground around it. So I, I'm i a big fan of them. I don't know why it's not more, more of a push to get these done, uh, but we are starting to see that now. Like if your tank is over 13 years old, uh, they're, they're recommending or forcing a, an upgrade to, to a newer tank. For exactly that reason, they don't want to run the risk of yeah, failure, I saw, and we have better technology now. I saw one of the newer tanks with, and the the person was like, "Yeah, I have no idea how this spill could have ever happened," but he had old, um, like piping running to it, and it was the mm -hmm. piping that failed. He's like, yeah. I, I have no idea how this failed." <laughs> well, that's great. You spent all this money on this great tank, but you didn't upgrade any of your plumbing to the tank from the house and then the plumbing let go i mean <laughs> geez yeah yeah sometimes you just can't win no i know uh, yeah. <laughs> i was but, like oh my gosh but yeah if you're gonna upgrade you, i would expect that you want to try and make sure that you cover at least your, your general basis keep all the the materials in good working order and with that let's talk about some installation errors like what are the things that you see on a regular basis or that you've seen that with regards to that, um, I mean, is, are we still seeing these uneven tanks, like tanks being put in, uh, not properly, like not on proper padded and footings, um, on gravel or dirt even, is that still happening? Uh, it, it is. I wish we could say it, it isn't, but it, it does always happen that way. Uh, even if it is leveled, sometimes we're running into the cases where, uh, a tank is installed and it's level at the time, but the ground settles afterwards. It was never really compacted. So just over time with freeze and thaw, the, the ground settles a little bit and drops that, that back section of the tank just a touch. And what that usually does, 
uh, is leads you back to the, the microbial corrosion because it's sloped backwards. The water begins to pool away from the outlet rather than be drained. So even if you do have one of those bottom drain tanks, if it's not leveled correctly or, or sloped towards the drain, the water won't actually make it there. Uh, so we, we see lots of those, those errors. Uh, the other big one we see is um, putting your tank out somewhere where it's unprotected. Uh, and it, <laughs> again, to our point, sometimes you just can't win. Uh, we had one case where uh, an insured got a, a kicking bag and put it in their basement. Uh, and they they were having a, a little workout and the, the restraint system that they had set up broke and the bag fell onto the, the pipe just outside the, the tank oh, and it sheared it, sheared it off. Uh, so it wasn't wasn't protected enough, oh, yeah. and um, that's a bit of a unique case that it wasn't that it wasn't protected being inside the home. But uh, we have the same type thing happen outside. If you're if snow can slide off your roof and land on it, you can result have the same results. Uh, it'll shear off the pipes, uh, it'll break the filters, uh, it'll crack a crack a valve, uh, and and part of the installation requirement is that it does need to be installed and protected. Uh, especially from falling ice uh, and vehicle impact. Now, is this homeowner installation errors you're seeing, or is this still um, installation companies that are still making these, you know, outrageous errors? Uh, so part of the code requires that any uh, oil burning equipment is inspected, fi- at least final inspected. It's supposed to be installed and inspected by a, a trained technician. Uh, so when we come down to our analyses and, and we look at it, um, part of the the final startup of any piece of equipment would be to do a check of all the equipment and make sure that it does meet code in every way. Uh, so even if it was an, an unprofessional installation, any um, any technician that is coming in to actually certify and start up that equipment should be doing the proper checks and making sure that it meets code. And if it doesn't, they should not be putting that into into use. So should it be uh, red tag- seeing- should it be red tagged then at that point? It, that's it exactly. Yeah, it should be red tagged. And again, for the yeah. for the people listening, you've got green tag, which is good operation, yellow tag, which is ninety day warning. Correct? Is right. it ninety? Yep. I'm, I'm. Don't quote me on the days, but I- yeah, there's a an intermediate failure or a non immediate failure. They call it. Yeah. And then immediate, which is when it's red tagged and they're meant to turn the apparatus off so it can't be turned up. Well, they're meant to shut it off at when right. before they leave and red tag it. There's nothing preventing the homeowner from going back down and finicking with it, you know, trying to make it work again. Exactly. Yeah. They, <laughs> they're supposed to do what they can. Yeah. Uh, what they're not not supposed to do and what we have seen before is that they red tag it and then start the equipment up again. Uh, so actually, we just we just finished being involved in a in a case like that where there's records that show that they red tagged something, but there was no tag on the system. It was restarted. They must have refilled it because they made a note that that it was uh, that it had drained. So we looked at it, going, "Oh no, there's lots of errors here. <laughs> Somebody yeah. really had to work to put this into place, yet they red tagged it." Wow, that's crazy. It just the- yeah. And it, and again, like these spills are not cheap on anybody. 
and the time that goes into the cleanup, right, with all the regulations. Um, one of one of my favorite, uh, really working to cause a spill and really causing a lot of damage is actually the uh, the once the system has been uninstalled. So if you if you had a an oil system and it was changed to a gas system, uh, although you'd have the fill pipes outside your house, uh, they're to be at least capped, if not removed, so that they're they're no longer observed. Uh, but we've done a number of cleanups where those fill pipes were disconnected, uh, supplied a, a tank inside originally, uh, but the uh, fuel suppliers either didn't realize or didn't pay attention to the fact that that they were disconnected. So they go in, they hook up, and they start pumping oil into the fill valve, which is no longer connected to a tank inside the home. So all they're doing is pumping fuel into the basement. I was going to uh, ask you, done... does that still happen? <laughs> uh, it does. Uh, we've done a 3,000-liter cleanup before. Wow. Someone had 3,000 liters of fuel pumped into the basement. I thought uh, We that... had another one. I thought somebody... that was just, you know, one of those old wives' tales where people were talking <laughs> about stuff. I've never seen it, but oh, I've no. heard about it from people, and I was, they were like, yeah, yeah, you know, you'll probably come across it sometime. And in my eight years, I never came, I've come across overfills, but I'd never come across yep. somebody that filled a basement with oil. I've heard about it, but never come across a claim where somebody had filled one with actually uh, no tank there anymore. But uh, oh. I, I definitely heard about it. So that's interesting that you've been involved in it. Yeah, the, Man, uh, the worst we had was somebody actually break the weld. Somebody had welded the cap. Like they, they removed the tank. They welded the cap to the, uh, to the fill valve so that you couldn't get the cap off any longer. So being a, a determined supplier, the technician went and got a big enough pipe wrench, broke all four of the welds, removed that cap, and then started to fill up the basement. So they, they actually had to, to really work at it, but they, they wow. really wanted that spill, I guess. Wow. They were trying to be real helpful. Wow. I mean, and they just showed up on their own. I'm assuming the homeowner didn't say, come on out and fill my basement up with oil. I The way I understand it is that the, the suppliers will, uh, in some areas at least, uh, travel around and just knowing what their regular stops are. Uh, if they've got a few liters left over in their, their truck or they're going by and they, they know they haven't been to your place in a while, they'll just stop and, and give you a sort of a, not a complimentary fill up, but as a courtesy, stop and, and fill you up or just top up your tank as much as they can. Wow. So it, this must have been one of those cases, I would assume. Yeah, they didn't notice the propane tanks that had replaced the, in the backyard. <laughs> Man, oh. Yeah. That's terrible. So let's talk about overfills because those can be uh, kind of interesting as well. Because that's uh, for the ones that is. Are you seeing overfills for outside tanks, or is it more for people that have tanks in the basement, in their or in their crawl space? Those kind of things. I so actually, to be honest, I've never personally come across one. Oh, okay. Uh, that's surprising enough. I've, I've never actually been involved in an overfill. So uh, I've been involved in two. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, <laughs> it, it so kinda, I should be asking you. Yeah. So, and mine, my two were totally different. So my one was the whistle didn't work, obviously. Right. So as it was filling, the whistle never came on. And, uh, 
the guy and just that would have been on an inside. Yeah, on the inside tank, and the guy yep. just kept filling it. But he was at the truck. He went back to his truck. Okay. Yeah. And, and didn't stay up where the gun was. And, right. And literally just kept filling it, and he dumped it between two houses. Oh no. <laughs> um, not a big spill, but big enough. And then the okay. other one was an outside tank, and the guy it was a homeowner filling it himself. And oh, interesting. And just kind of missed. And it was more of a, you know, they weren't paying to have somebody deliver it and kind of poured it all over the place. That was the other right. one. And so you put too much in and then it just kind of poured out over top, like literally going in the top. Couldn't slow it down fast couldn't, enough. It yeah. couldn't, wasn't paying attention or whatever it was. So well, that again, that wasn't a big one. And uh, But the other one was big enough that we got, you know, there was a claim out of, but and was dealt with, but it was interesting. But, right. But, and, you know, sorry, I was going to ask in third party on that one with the two houses, I suppose. Yeah. That's where we, you know, we, we got involved and kind of had to look at it and stuff. So, but it was very interesting. It's, uh, and I mean, you're, you're dealing with companies that were like, no, no, there's no way this was us. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you sent them a bill yesterday and, the smell of oil is here today. You were here yesterday. We didn't, you know. So it's those kind of things. That, uh, let's kind of move from that then because overfills are, in my opinion, that's that's not a big one. I, and again, in eight years, I'd only ever seen two. Yeah, um, and, and to your point, they're, they're fairly fairly straightforward. It, you can usually trace what, what went on pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Either, it, either the fill line wasn't, like on an outside tank, the fill line wasn't uh, wasn't there, or else somebody wasn't paying attention. Yeah, because uh, there's always your your fill, uh, sorry, your fill gauge is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, your fill gauge should be working, and that way they know how much is there and how much they can add. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, for an inside tank, they're relying on that uh, that whistle. So if it's a failure there again, it's fairly fairly quick to to come to that analysis. Now, let's talk about physical damage. Now, that's that's the big one, right? Is the property damage to the house or having to to lift the house or dig the house out underneath or remove soil. What is the what are you guys seeing the most common of these days? I mean, I haven't been doing this in 2 years, so but I haven't done been involved in oil spills in a couple of years. So, are are they still doing the um digging out the houses and replacing the soil and stuff or or is there any new technology uh so interesting enough i was talking with uh with both our structural team and our, our environmental team and, and asking them because uh, we had come up on a case where they told me they were going to move a house yeah uh, and i i stopped myself and, and asked how do you move a house uh, and they were talking about uh the work involved in in trying to underpin some some houses so uh, i guess for those unfamiliar with it what they'll, they'll do is go go into the basement dig out uh, a two three or four foot section uh, while supporting the the two sides of it uh, and then they'll backfill that in uh, and then move over and do another three or four feet uh, and they just systematically 
uh, do small sections until they, they get the full foundation dug out uh, and replaced. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to get a lot of equipment into the house, uh, which isn't always the, the easiest thing to do, uh, or else you're working with really small equipment. Uh, so they've found now that with what they're able to do, they, they can jack the houses up uh, a couple of inches, slide them off center, uh, get full-sized equipment down into the basements, clean them up, and then move the houses back onto the foundation. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a really, really unique way to do it. Uh, I've been involved in, I want to say, four or five of those. Okay. Large yeah. move. What, what? Some of them were mobile homes, so not hard to move. Pick them up, drive them away, because yep. you know I, it's like tornadoes. I find oil spills find uh, mobile home parks, and uh, I guess in the U.S. they find tornadoes find them as well. Um, but they seem to be the worst of the worst, like oil spill alley up in um, Carlton Place in Ottawa area. There's one park there that I was in, you know, half a dozen times looking <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so you're you're like unbelievable that it, you know everybody has an oil spill in this park um yeah. don't you guys talk and know what not to do i know yeah but then there's <laughs> other ones where i was i was at another one where they actually dug out keys is what i think it was called and then used these large beams and literally lifted the house up to move it it was incredible just an incredible thing to see and uh and right. actually craned equipment in underneath like moved equipment like you said in and dug out everything out around the foundation and everything and then rebuilt this foundation it was incredible yeah yeah what they can do now is, is pretty interesting to look at the science behind it all and, and even the economics like i wouldn't think off the top of my head that moving a house would be more economical than than just doing work in place but apparently the they've made the case yeah no absolutely and then the other interesting or thing of what i was told I'd, I'd never heard any you know i heard that there was some chemicals that they were able to put into the ground that would literally cause the oil to break up and become an almost inert in that regard right. and just allow it just to so it didn't have that same um, phc levels or whatever you know all the different things that made it bad. Is is there any truth in that? I, I've never dealt with any claims about it, but I'd heard from some people that that was kind of the ways they were looking at going in the future. I Really, to be honest, I, I couldn't answer it with any kind of expertise background, oh, okay. but I, I've heard the same, um, heard the same reports and have mentioned it to our, our teams. My impression is that, that our guys aren't, as excited about using those um they they haven't found the results are are as quick or or as uh, cost effective as just getting the work done quickly and getting out because mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot it's a longer process um to leave i think it's a, a microbe actually that they put in there to to consume the oil oh, okay um but it, it tends to be a longer time for it to actually break down so you're monitoring for longer oh, okay with the wells and stuff yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but, interesting. Uh, yeah, I will. I'll follow up just for personal interest and uh, and get you some more information on it. Yeah, absolutely. We can do another follow up. Uh, we can do a follow up one on on oil spills for sure. Because for me, it's something that you know, 
I handled for such a long time that it's, I like talking about it because there's always some really, you know, there's always a cool claim that there's, you know, I've never heard of or whatever. And like I said, you know, um, the, the filling in someone's home, the fact that you've actually dealt with a few of them is kind of mm-hmm. neat, you know, where there was no tank, whereas, you know, I have the other way with the overfills. So it's kind of neat yeah. to actually hear about it. Um, what other things can you tell me about from with regards to residential homes that, you know, that you see when you're assigned to go out and take a look at them, um, that you should be, adjusters should be aware of kind of a couple of takeaways that, you know, when they get out to a site, what's something that you can say to your adjuster, you know, this is something that you should be looking at, uh, with regards to, you know, subrogation or something, do they need to, um, or is that something that you need to go out there and do, or is there, you know, do you know what I'm trying to get at? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's our big, uh, our big push whenever we're talking with anybody that's dealing with, uh, with oil spills. Uh, the more we can see at the time and in place, the, the better. Uh, that being said though, the faster you get to the cleanup, uh, the faster you can mitigate any type of loss. Uh, so we do try and focus on that, especially our environmental team, uh, if they get out there and they see that something's not quite right uh, and in their experience, um, I'll say my team from the materials point of view, um, they think that it's something that we could get involved in and have a look at. Uh, they'll, they'll bring it up right away. But I think every adjuster and risk manager should be, should be looking at things in in that manner. Like, yes, you do want to get that cleanup done. So that's your your key concern but if you have the opportunity get somebody out there just to at least have a look um and see if there's any any possibility um because if you're starting to see things like holes in the bottom of the tank chances are somebody was in there and and should have been uh doing at least some kind of check even uh just a fill uh the fill companies uh, should be doing uh, a certain degree of checking every every year uh, every fill and then every 10 years they need like a, a full inspection of the system and you can take them through that in your reporting like you can report with regards to hey this is you know once you get the insured's documents with regards to fills and who their service provider is and if there's a contract you can you'll present that in a report that says hey this is what should be this is the standard this is where it was missed and you know this is the areas that you can look at from subrogation perspective Yep, that is that is exactly. So that specifically is the role I play with with okay. any of these failures. Uh, so we come in, uh, we do we do a, a review of the whole system. If it's something blatantly obvious, like a, a hole in the tank, then we'll we'll let you know what information you want to collect uh, in order to support your case, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll take a, a detailed look uh, with anybody else that that wants to be involved. So. It, just to use a, a fictitious example, you, you do find that there's a hole in the bottom of the tank or there's uh, even a hole through the filter housing. Um, you know that somebody should have been checking that system. Uh, it is the responsibility of the homeowner, but if there was a, a technician in to inspect the furnace and you had fuel deliveries being made uh, and maybe you had a, a whole system comprehensive inspection done at some point by either one of those parties, or, or maybe another party that uh, has been involved in the last, say, year, and you've just switched suppliers. Uh, 
all those parties can be brought in and made aware of, of what's happened. And we'll take you through the, the responsibility of, of each party and, and where that lies. And it gives you a better idea of, of who might have responsibility and might be able to be brought in on a subrogation claim. Uh, and when we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands to do cleanups, it's, it's worth your while to get that information as quickly as you can uh, and as much as you can. So the faster you can get somebody involved, the better. Now, do you take the tank away and then do um, destructive and non-destructive testing kind of in a group setting? With the So do you allow um, all the parties to be involved so they can actually see how the tank is, you know, the condition of it and that kind of stuff? Because I know when it's on site, it's it's hard to get, you know, the oil supplier, the the company that does that you know manufactured the tank all those people obviously can't show up at the house on one day do you take the tank away and then you know keep it for safekeeping so you can do those things exactly yeah so imperial specifically we have a, a nineteen thousand square foot warehouse um wow. okay in concord that we store everything uh, in so we've got racks and racks of of full-sized uh, intact tanks that have been removed from site and are just waiting for uh, for joint examinations like you just described. Yeah. Uh, before we do anything, though, we document the scene out completely so that anybody that does get involved is able to see exactly what the situation was. Sure. At least as soon as we were engaged. Uh, and then we, we'll collect that evidence, take it back, uh, and put it in a secure storage uh, where it'll be left intact until everybody has an opportunity to get a say in, in what's going to be done uh, and then witness again, what's going to be done. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so if an adjuster's got an oil spill and they're looking to reach out to Perio, they need to reach out to three parts of Perio is how I'm seeing it. Right. They've got to look at the environmental piece for the cleanup, the qualified person that's going to inspect the, the actual cleanup as it goes on which would be the QP, QP and then yourself dealing with the actual tank and the failures and all those components. Is, is that covered, you think, or is there anything else I'm missing? No, uh, that sounds about right. Uh, and I'll only add that uh, to reach out to us, really they only need to make one phone call. Uh, if uh, if you're going to call Perio, uh, you have the ability to engage the environmental experts and you would just have to mention uh, in that call or in that email uh, or through the website uh, that you are interested in finding out what the origin and cause was as well. Uh, and internally, we will coordinate everybody that needs to be there. So how would uh, they reach you guys? And if they were looking to reach you, how would they get in touch with you, Zach? Uh, if they want, they, they're more than welcome to reach me directly. Uh, and it's just my name, Zachary.King at Perio.ca. Uh, but to reach our main line, uh, there's our main email. It's perio, P-A-R-I-O, at perio, again, dot C-A. Uh, they can also reach on our website. Uh, you have access to all of our experts' contact information uh, there. And you can also submit online. Uh, or there is our main telephone line, uh, which is uh, covered 24-7. And that number is one triple eight seven six two four six six seven. And and it's you said it's covered twenty four seven. So that's any time 
across the country you guys pick up. Uh, so if you've got an adjuster who's got a claim, I know you guys are, are national, so you guys have a claim anywhere in one of the provinces or the territories you guys respond to it. It, exactly. Yeah. Right. So if you're calling during any normal business hours, as you mentioned, from coast to coast, uh, you'll get one of our, our um, one of our administrators uh, who will direct you to uh, the closest technical lead that can help you out. Uh, if it's an after hours call, it's still monitored uh, and that triggers an email sent to all senior management uh, with, who will respond usually within a couple of minutes of that email coming in. Uh, and then they're they're ready to mobilize their teams immediately. Wow. Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, um, I appreciate your time today. It's for me that was great. Uh, I always love talking about oil spills. I don't know about you. You you're still doing it all the time, but I still, regardless, I still love talking about them. And yeah. uh, I, I, we can I, get I, you involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I appreciate it. I appreciate being uh, appreciate you being on the podcast today. Not a problem. I'm glad to be here. Glad to uh, to voice a little little opinion on the engineering side of things. And uh, just for any of the listeners, Terry, if if they're interested, coming up in March, we're going to have uh, a webinar actually on this topic exactly for residential and commercial oil spills. Excellent. Uh, so if they're interested in learning a little bit more or getting a little more into the the environmental side of the and the technical cleanup uh, they can keep an eye out in our LinkedIn and uh, they'll see a, an ad come up in the next couple of weeks well if you want uh, I'm not sure when you know when this podcast will come out is in relation to the actual um, actual seminar or uh, webinar it, but if you want to flip me the link and if it's out in time we'll attach the link right in the uh, podcast itself so people, oh, if you're listening to this and it's before that date, just look down in the link here. There'll be a link attached on Spotify or whatever you're listening to it on and your podcast uh, icon on, you know, your Apple device or your Android. Take a look in the link or in the actual uh, podcast information. We'll have the link there for the webinar. So um, that's great. Perfect. Thanks very much for being on the podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks again, Terry. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.